Hello all. Come, come, and join me round my flickering flame. I'm so glad to see that you have returned to continue our tale. Nothing could do more to warm the heart of an old bard with a passion for magic. When last we left Embroth, he was in Io's hut, reflecting on the mission his king had set him. So now I again invite you to come with me as we join our hero in his trials and in his triumphs in this grand tale of gold, bones, and leather. Sitting as he was on his bed in Io's hut, Embrosk decided that he did not want to think of his king any longer. Putting the scroll away, he pulled out a rather large book with a blackened leather binding and wilted yellowing pages. Embrosk's eyes began to dart over the runes, many of which were surprisingly unfamiliar to him. His tongue poked out from behind his teeth as it often did when he was concentrating hard. While there were a couple old Bozerian runes, many of them were not from any ogre language that Embrosk recognized. He pulled a sheet of parchment and a thin, sharpened line of graphite from the bag and began to notate the words that he did know. He was so enveloped in his work that he didn't even hear the sound of someone sweeping aside the deerskin flap of the door and entering the hut. I thought I told you to go to sleep, Io said causing Embrosk's hand to slip. Embrosk cursed under his breath as he tried to rub the smudged graphite off the runes. He gave up and turned his attention to the tall, red-headed ogre who was unloading a large satchel of wood. So why are you not asleep? Io asked Embrosk. Embrosk sighed, setting aside the scroll. I haven't slept in a long while. A ghost of a smile flitted across Io's lips as he looked down at Embrosk's depleted frame. You ought to, he said. Embrosk nodded. I agree, but alas, I still cannot. Io shrugged nonchalantly and began to stack the wood by the fire grate. I should thank you, Embrosk said, causing his host to stop the stacking for a moment. You saved my life. You followed me. You kept your lechi from killing me. Io turned back to him. Yes, I did, he said simply, and I hope you make it worth my while. He returned back to his stacking, and Embrosk picked up the scroll again to continue his translation. So why did you become a scholar? Io asked, breaking the silence once again. Embrosk looked up from his scroll quizzically. I'm sorry? Io's expression held just a hint of a glare. Why did you become a scholar? Io repeated himself. His tone was flat. Why do you ask? You promised you would answer my questions. That is my first question. Why did you become a scholar? Embrusque squirmed a little. He was happy to answer the ogre's questions about magic and potions but he couldn't tell Io that he had gone to Botzeri on the orders of his king. This ogre had saved his life. 
Now Embrosk would reward him with a lie. I was a young potioneer with a lot of talent and no money, he said by way of answer, avoiding eye contact with Io. I heard a tale from a traveling bard about the great libraries of Botsari Mountain. I had no desire to stay where I was, so I made the trip. Io grunted in response, and Embrosk couldn't be sure if his answer had been satisfactory. When you were there, did you hear tales of Wiota? Io asked, settling himself into a cross-legged position in front of the fire. Embrosk drew himself into a seated position, so they were across from each other. Embrosk smiled a humorless smile as he considered the ogre's question. It had been the search for Wiota that had kept Embrosk bound to the mountain for so many years, searching in vain for the book that told the true secret of magic. Of course I heard tales of Wiota, he said, looking at Io. First, I was told it was a book of great magic. Then, I was told it was several books that needed to be put together. Then, I was told it was a state of mind that could be induced by a special potion lost to time. The ogres, the other scholars, everyone had a guess, and from what I could tell, everyone was wrong. Io grunted again. This time, his face showed more than a hint of a glare. I'm not saying that it doesn't exist, Ambrosk said, hoping to mollify his host. I can only tell you that Wiota does not exist on Botseri Mountain. Io's expression did not soften. Ambrosk's stomach sank. Io had vouched for Ambrosk back in the Lechi's hut, but clearly the ogre did not trust him. Ambrosk's eyes flashed back to the scars on the ogre's face, burn marks almost certainly caused by human magic. Ambrosk had been a fool to think this would be easy. Humans did this to me, Io said, noticing Ambrosk's gaze. He leaned forward and his dark eyes met Ambrosk's. Magic users, like you. I was a child, no threat to them. Merely a humble quester, following up on a promising lead. And they attacked you anyway, Embrosk said quietly, finishing the story. He had heard many like it. They attacked me with fire, Io said in a gruff voice, his face straining with the pain of the memory. And in that moment, when I realized what your species is truly like, the importance of my quest doubled. Io looked defensive, as if expecting Embrosk to argue, or perhaps defend his fellow humans. Embrosk, for his part, wasn't sure what to say, so instead he watched the fire crackle in the grate behind Io's head. Io glanced down at Embrosk's hand, which still clutched the scroll he had been translating. In the scroll, Io found a new target for his ire. I could never figure out why Botsere gives humans like you access to our ancient texts. They could be curing the sick and injured. They could be restoring magic to our kind. They could find the truth of Wiota, and instead they're giving away our magical secrets for humans like you to attack us. Embrosk looked up into the face of the red-haired ogre. Embrosk couldn't tell whether it showed disappointment, anger, or disgust. He took a deep breath. Humans can indeed be cruel, angry, and spineless. 
And yet you treated me with kindness and courtesy by welcoming me into your home, feeding me, and eventually saving my life. I can't repay my debt to you, but I did promise that I would answer your questions, and I intend to keep that promise. Here is what I know of Wiota. It does not exist on Botseri Mountain. I doubt that it exists at all. Io's eyebrows remained furrowed, his eyes squinted in angry suspicion. However, Ambrosk said quickly, before the ogre could interject, I still believe that you can accomplish your quest. If I were you, I would learn about potions. I would learn about theory. I would learn about history. Take what bits and pieces of knowledge are out there and combine them until you reach your goal. And do you agree with my goal? Io asked loudly in a pointed voice. The corners of Embrosk's mouth turned upwards in a smile. It is a cruel injustice that the ogres cannot practice the magical arts that they have so carefully cultivated over the millennia. I will show you what I can. You can decide how best to make use of it. Io grunted and his features softened. He seemed teetering on the edge of saying something. Then the ogre swallowed back whatever he was going to say and stood up, heading towards the door of the hut. Ambrosk, feeling a note of finality coming to the conversation, began to let his eyes descend back to the scroll which stayed open on his lap. I will attempt to learn what you have to teach me, Io said, interrupting Ambrosk's thoughts. But you are wrong. Wiota does exist. My father saw the book, and he told me before he passed from this world. Ambrosk had heard tales like this from other faithful ogres before. They had all turned out to be false. However, Ambrosk felt no desire to dissuade Io. He looked up into the ogre's dark eyes. Then I hope that book is your destiny. I learned long ago that it is not mine. Ambrosk's gaze returned to his scroll, and Io swept aside the deerskin door and exited the hut. Several days later, Ambrosk found himself in the lechi's hut. What do you believe about Io's quest? The lechi asked, her eyes bearing down at Ambrosk. He had just come by her hut to drop off the last of the potions that he had brewed for her, a salve that would help cure magically induced burns. Ambrosk took a moment before answering. Over the past days, the Lechi seemed to have abandoned most of her animosity towards him, as he quickly and skillfully brewed the potions she had requested. However, he still didn't want to antagonize her by accident. I believe it's a bold quest, Ambrosk answered her carefully. It's a just quest, and it's the kind of quest that can tear his life apart. Ambrosk had spent nearly four days with the tall, red-headed ogre, answering questions about magic, history, and lore. He knew the extent to which Io's quest controlled his life. The lechi nodded slowly. Ambrosk's eyes were again drawn to the smooth, rounded tips of her horns. Why do you ask? Ambrosk inquired as he placed the jar of salve on the table where the lechi kept the rest of her medicines. She sighed and motioned for Ambrosk to take a seat in a large chair that sat on the edge of the fire grate, 
which was empty except for the smoldering embers of the previous night's fire. I ask because I have looked into the problem that you are having regarding the lost scholars. And, Ambrosk prompted as she took a seat of her own, and it seems that your problem is not entirely independent of Io's. Ambrosk's eyebrows rose in surprise. How so? he asked. The lady gave another sigh. Only three of the lost scholars made it this far into Cadman. All of them seemed to be controlled by the same mysterious force that guides you. Ambrosk nodded. He had been expecting as much. And reportedly, all three of them were speaking of Wiota, she continued, looking over at him. Ambrosk's eyebrows furrowed. Why they were speaking on such a subject, I do not know, the lady continued, not taking her gaze from Ambrosk. My understanding is that you don't put much credibility in the idea of Wiota. I don't now, Ambrosk said as he tried to process this information. You did once, she said. It was neither a question nor a statement. Of course I did, he said quickly. There were too many references to it, in books, songs, and the like, for me not to believe it. But the deeper I dove, the more the nest grew tangled. Was it a book on Bozzere? Was it a song sung by the harpies of the eastern seas? Was it a potion made of fruits found only in the darkest forest? There was no agreement on what it was, much less where it was. So, yes, I abandoned the notion. The Lechi continued to study him. And what do you think of your compatriots talking about such a matter in their hour of need? Ambrosk closed his eyes and sucked in a large breath. He released the breath slowly and opened his eyes. I don't know what to think, he said. When they were talking about Wiota, do you know, do you know what state they were in? She thought about this. You mean were they lucid? Were they sane? Ambrosk nodded his head. I do not believe so, she said after another moment's pause. From what I heard, they seemed wild and manic. They had little control of themselves. Ambrosk tried to categorize the information in his mind like an ingredients list for a potion recipe. All of them were scholars. All of them heard the music. All of them had spoken about Wiota, despite being too well-educated to put faith in the concept. And all of them had been mad. He looked over at the Lechi. Do you... do you know what happened to them? Did any of them manage to throw off the spell? I know little in the ways of spells, but I do know what happened to them, she said, and their eyes met. Ambrosk knew the truth before the tall ogre woman spoke it. All of them died. One starved in the forest. One ran across the wrong ogre. And the third, he asked. The third threw himself from the top of a waterfall she said in an even calm tone. He drowned. So each of them had died. That was something else to add to Ambrosk's list. And none of them had managed to get rid of the music. To his surprise, he felt a tear spring to his eye. That small shack back in Sandum, 
the incompetent king and his stupid succession crisis, the safety of Embrosk's own mind. He would have given anything for it. He quickly averted his eyes from the ogre and wiped at them with his sleeve, hoping that she would not see the sparkling of tears. There, there isn't much hope for me, is there? He said. There isn't much hope that I'll be able to go home, that I'll be able to survive to see my library again. The lychee considered this with a tilted head. I'm not sure if there's no hope. You are an intelligent human and an exceptional potioner. I imagine you will fight on until you know the truth of these things and are safe and sound at home. Ambrosk wiped another tear from his eye. They were beginning to fall harder and faster. This ogre could not possibly know what he had done already to throw off the music. There was nothing left to try anymore. The lady stood up and Ambrosk did the same recognizing that he was now dismissed. Devoid of energy, he walked slowly towards the door. He was just pulling aside the deerskin flap when her voice interrupted him. You know, I'm the center of this community. Embrosk let the flap fall back down and he turned back towards her. What? I am the center of this community, she repeated. In Cadman, we don't have kings or lords, or wergs, or priests. We have small villages of loosely strung huts, populated by injured veterans who need the healer's care, or headstrong young fools who need the healer's guidance. Truly, the lechi of a village does everything. We resolve disputes. We organize against raiding parties. We bury the dead. I know everyone in my community, and I have known many of them since birth. And of all the headstrong young fools I have met, none has been more headstrong or more foolish than Io. He is also kind and optimistic, and it was that more than anything that led him to save your life. Io is a quester, and he will not be able to rest until he either accomplishes his task or is driven mad from it. He is young, but he has already suffered because of it. Perhaps the other lost scholars were merely insane, unable to think properly. But every one of them spoke of Wiota. If somehow that knowledge exists, and somehow you are led on that path, remember the debt you owe to the ogre that saved your life. The lechi nodded her head in a final dismissal, Embrosk left the hut, allowing the deerskin flap to close behind him. The sun was just beginning to set in the sky, turning the clouds a brilliant reddish orange. As Embrosk entered Io's hut, he was glad to see that the tall, red-headed ogre had not yet come back with fresh firewood for that evening. Embrosk quickly gathered his books, wrote a note of farewell to his host, and then set out into the woods. He was headed south. As he wandered through the trees, vines, and thickets of the Cadman wilderness, his mind dwelled on unpleasant things. When would he go mad? Would he ever make it home? And when would the music yet again catch hold of him and divert him from his chosen path? Ambrosk rushed through the trees, pulled along a predetermined path, 
manipulated by the will of an unseen puppeteer. He no longer followed the music, and now guided his steps directly, or so it felt. He was so entranced by its willful beauty, grace, and purpose. Every step was deliberate, with Embrosk's stride, cadence, and direction, all determined by the music that played within him. He was still acutely aware of the world around him, of its smells and sounds. He could feel his skin being kissed by the cool evening breeze, and he could taste the decay of autumn in the air. But none of that mattered. He had to follow the music. There was no need to think about where he was, or where he was going. The music knew, and he knew it would guide him. Through its enchantment and its promise, the music had transformed him from a curious scholar into an addict who had surrendered control of his very being. Embrosk did not know how long it was before the dreaded moment when the chord stopped ringing, but that moment came as it always did. Embrosk lay there for hours in a dark, cold, dreamless state of unconsciousness. He had sunk several inches into the cold mud of the Cadman wetlands, and the dark canopy of the forest loomed over him, blocking the light of the silvery half-moon which floated lazily in the sky. Just as the sun was beginning to peek through the trees, Embrosk was awoken by a loud thump not too far away. His eyes sprung open and he lifted his head a couple inches out of the grey mud he had been lying in. He reached to his side and his hands closed around the comforting, familiar canvas of the large bag where he kept his books. He breathed a sigh of relief. At least they were still there. The comfort did not last long. He heard the loud thump again. It was closer this time. He pushed himself shakily into a sitting position. There was another loud thump. He tried to rise to his feet but his knees, wobbly from the exertions of the previous night, gave out. He fell into the soft mud again. Another thump, closer still. Embrosk again forced himself into a sitting position. Weak and alone, Embrosk was aware that he was an easy meal, and whatever was making that sound was certainly not human. He rubbed his eyes, trying to get a bearing on his surroundings. The trees around him had tall, thick trunks, and hanging down from the limbs of these trees were vines of green, purple, and red. Clumps of green, blue, and tan reeds, taller than Embrosk, grew out of the fertile mud, obscuring Embrosk's view of whatever creature was approaching. Then, sweeping aside a curtain of vines, a very strange creature emerged. It was stout, about four feet tall. It stood on two very large webbed feet. Its gray skin was smooth and rather frog-like. It had clawed hands and a rounded snout for a face. It paused and looked at Embrosk curiously, swishing its tail, which was nearly twice as long as the creature was tall back and forth in the mud. Then, without warning, the creature raised its tail far above its head 
and thumped it back into the ground, loudly. It looked at Embrosk expectantly, as if he was expected to reciprocate the challenge. Go away, Embrosk said weakly, his lips quivering from simultaneous cold and fear. The creature slammed its tail into the ground once again in another loud thump. It took a few steps to the side, its eyes still focused on Embrosk. It thumped its tail again, this time louder and angrier than before. Go away, Embrosk said a little louder and a little stronger. I'm not food. Don't worry, said a high nasal voice from just behind Embrosk. It's not looking for food. Embrosk turned around and saw himself face to face with a short, bald figure with dark skin, pointed ears, and a wool cloak wrapped tightly around him. The cloak was fashioned with a strange bronze pin that was shaped like an arrowhead. Embrosk had never seen an elf before. He had heard tales, though, and not all of them had been pleasant. Well then, what is it doing? Embrosk asked the elf. The elf flashed his pearly white teeth in a smile and unleashed a burst of peeling high-pitched laughter. Looking for a mate? The creature slammed its tail against the ground again, as if to emphasize the point. It continued to shuffle sideways, back and forth, still eyeing Embrosk. Just don't meet its eyes, the elf advised. It will lose interest. And how long will that take? Embrosk asked, as he scooted himself a few inches backwards, away from the creature. The elf laughed again, a shrill, rather unpleasant sound. It will happen eventually. The creature thumped around for several more minutes while Embrosk and the elf looked on in silence, careful to avoid its eyes. When it finally lost interest, the creature swept aside another curtain of vines and ran off, its tail thumping loudly behind it. What the hell was that thing? Embrosk asked the elf, who still lingered over its shoulder. It's called an eagle, the elf responded, walking forward so he faced Embrosk. He paused as he looked Embrosk over. You know you can get up now, he said pointedly. Embrosk nodded. He pawed the ground next to him until he was holding the sack of books in his hand, and he heaved himself to his feet, groaning with the effort. He made it to his feet and he stood there dumbly, able to focus only on the ringing in his ears and the pain in his knees. Is there a problem? The elf asked pointedly. What? Embrosk asked, unsure he had heard his new companion. The elf shook his head. I said, is there a problem? Embrosk shook his head, unable to formulate the sounds he needed to answer. He gathered the strength in him and tried to rise to his feet. But again, his knees gave out and he fell back into the mud. The elf smirked. Okay, maybe there is a problem. In spite of the snide remark, he held out a hand to help Embrosk. Embrosk took the hand and the elf pulled him to his feet. As his knees began to buckle again, the elf, who was about a head shorter than Embrosk, helped steady him. I guess you had a rough night, the elf said with yet another smirk. Yes, Embrosk said with a grimace, tightening his grip around the sack of books. Are you good to walk? The elf asked Embrosk. Embrosk slung the bag over his shoulder and tested his balance. I think so. 
All right, come with me. Oh, look, the night has passed quickly, and the moon is high in the sky. And so, yet again, I must pause the telling of this tale. But fear not, when seven days have passed, we may reunite here by the flickering light of the fire to continue Embrosk's story. In the meantime, spread the word that this is a place where stories are told. Tell your friends near and far that there is room for them around this hearth so we can continue to tell this wondrous tale of gold, bones, and leather. Before I sign off today, I want to remind all of you guys that if you're enjoying the podcast, please head over to my website, bensbookshack.com, to check out some of the amazing original artwork that accompanies this podcast. It really helps bring the scenes to life, and it was done by the amazingly talented Celeste Schiff. If you want to see any of her other work, her portfolio is linked in the show notes down below. As always, a major thank you to everyone who helped make this podcast possible. Anais, Tasha, Kira, and Madison... I'm looking at you guys. And last but not least, thank you to all of you guys who are here listening to Embrosk's story. Truly, nothing could make me happier. And I hope that you'll join me next week as I continue to tell this story of gold, bones, and leather. The Gold, Bones, and Leather podcast is brought to you by Ben's Bookshack. Everything that you've heard on this episode, including music, was written, recorded, and edited by me. I can be reached at contact at bensbookshack.com.